What's going on everybody? This is Malik Prince from Team Xbox and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 67 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, January 24th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we discuss the impressive conclusion to the Hitman trilogy, we'll debate the validity of Xbox Live amid pricing reversals, and we'll be chatting about the Resident Evil Showcase. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, I want to give a shout out to Dan Rodriguez over at Seasoned Gaming. Dan was immensely helpful in my Hitman 3 journey. I know, guys, I have to eat some crow here. I said on last week's episode that I would be holding off on Hitman 3. Then there was a massive amount of positive uh, vibes coming out into the ether for it. I got excited for it. I ended up getting a code. Started it off, fell in love with Hitman all over again. And Dan was wonderfully helpful in finding a way to get my Hitman 1 and 2 content into Hitman 3, and now I'm on a Hitman journey. I'll be talking about that game later on in this episode. But uh, Dan, always making me laugh, always telling great jokes over at Seasons Gaming's BitCast, giving me a hard time, but uh, always there for a DM when I needed help with getting Hitman to work. It was an absolute blast. So Dan, you are the man. I appreciate you, brother. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the help. I'm looking forward to many hours in that world of assassin- assassinations universe, man. So thank you for that. Well, goodness gracious, we have plenty to talk about in this week's episode. Xbox gifting us with a huge talking point, some ups and some downs from last week amid Xbox Live pricing discussions, debates, reversals. It was nuts. If you missed this, Xbox Live Gold was announced last week to be doubling in price for new customers. A late press release over on the Xbox Wire stated that new customers to Xbox Live Gold would see costs for the service double over a year's time, but that those already in the ecosystem would not see any change whatsoever. That said, the pricing increase for new customers caused a fair amount of fan outcry over in the social media spaces, and the Gamerverse, as you would expect, did not react well to a price hike to a service that many thought would be disappearing entirely. Of course, Gold, compared to its rival company service in PlayStation Plus, has not looked great over the last few years with free-to-play walls uh, existing on the Xbox side of things, but not the PlayStation, and of course, definitely not the PC side and that would mean that PlayStation customers on the Sony side uh, never had to pay for PlayStation Plus in order to play very popular games like Fortnite or Call of Duty Warzone. 
Xbox players did have to do this, and PC players never even had to worry about a paywall or service whatsoever to play those really popular titles. This raised eyebrows all that much more several months ago when we found out that Halo Infinite would have free-to-play multiplayer, and that would have been a paywall to stop more people from entering into that space on console only. In many ways, having a, a paywall for free-to-play games in the Xbox console space feels like a punishment to console players next to their console players on the Sony side, and more importantly, the PC players. I say more importantly because most of the Xbox offerings are available also on PC. Needless to say, the first-party Xbox offerings in the years to come will also be launching day and date into PC as well, in as many instances as possible. And again, the aforementioned Halo Infinite would cause eyebrows to raise quite a bit if you have an ecosystem on the PC side that can play the game for free entirely, but you must be a member of Xbox Live Gold to play on in the console space. That decision was reversed less than 24 hours after it was announced. Xbox seemingly noticed the outcry over in the social media spaces. And that outcry was, I would say, very loud, very direct. And many people, at least on my timelines and feeds, were offering systemic and sustainable reasons for why the price hike felt unnecessary. They were citing the examples that I've just given you and more for why the price hike felt as though uh, it was taking advantage of customers, perhaps bullying or pushing them towards Game Pass Ultimate as an alternative service to not incur the costs of gold. And while I would encourage every Xbox owner to be on Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, I think that's the way to go if you're going to be in this ecosystem. By no means should your hand be forced in that respect. And Microsoft's big thing over the last year and a half or so has been all about choice. Play where you want to play, play with who you want to play with, and uh, play in a way that makes you happy. They've offered multiple console SKUs, they've offered xCloud, they've offered PC. They've wanted gamers to have choice in how they spend their money in the Xbox ecosystem. Well, a price hike certainly would have felt that it bullied people into getting Game Pass Ultimate, and that's not something that they were in favor of. It also, had they stuck with that decision, would have made the Xbox Series S feel somewhat insidious in its concept. Of course, you have a a very approachable console in the Xbox Series S, very approachable price point, and a wonderful reduced barrier for entry into the ecosystem for new players, making it a great alternative console. However, if you have a paywall on free-to-play games like Warzone, Fortnite, and the, the forthcoming Halo Infinite on a very cheap box that has low memory, meaning that you would likely have to upgrade memory at some point because these games do climb in sizes, all your digital or all of your offerings must be digital on the Xbox Series S. And in, in reality, to use those, make use of those digital functions, you would need Xbox Live Gold. That makes that system feel very predatory and very insidious had they stuck with that price hike and the free-to-pay wall. Now, I continuously cite this free-to-pay wall because it exists in an outdated format, and it's the great differentiator from the rival services that we've mentioned, and the great differentiator from the existing Xbox policies over in the PC space. I would say now with the decision reversal that prices would not be increasing for Xbox Live Gold and those paywalls would be removed, it now makes the Xbox Series S one of the best values in gaming and a wonderful way for people to enter into that Xbox space, even better than it was in its standard format a week ago. 
going forward, the Series S continues to offer a, a low price point for people to enter into the ecosystem, try things out, exist as an alternative console, and be able to play free-to-play games and digital games without incurring an extra hidden cost in Xbox Live Gold. When we look at the decision to to price hike, then reverse, and what the value is in having Xbox Live Gold, I'm of the mind that Xbox Live Gold needs to be removed entirely, and it needs to go away in favor of just being something that is part of Game Pass. We are well aware at this point that low-cost barriers to entry or free-to-play barriers to entry uh, allow people to spend more money within ecosystems. Many heavy examples of that where people are able to play a game for free, spend money in it later or with it later via microtransactions, via season passes, uh, or subscription services. You know, Fortnite exists in that respect. There, That people will spend money there. People will make use of those ecosystems, and getting them involved in an ecosystem is far more valuable than a one- or two-time purchase a year. When I look at the incentives for Xbox Live Gold, they pale in comparison to the incentives of Game Pass Ultimate. And I continuously cite this because I think people need to be using Game Pass Ultimate and Game Pass instead of worrying about Xbox Live Gold. There was a time where I made use of PlayStation Plus and Games with Gold to get new games every single month. That now feels slow and a bit archaic next to the continuously updated uh, format of Game Pass and the fact that every week or every two weeks I'm getting new games to play in there if I want them. I strongly feel that Games with Gold needs to go away and Xbox Live Gold needs to go away and they should remove the paywall entirely for people that are wanting to play in an online ecosystem there. Now, I recognize that prices for Xbox Live Gold have not gone up in the last 10 years. Moreover, I recognize that uh, those services do cost money. And while I recognize all of those things, I do think that when you have a company working at the scale of Microsoft with the intended scale of their service and hope of reaching 2 billion gamers, removing an extra paywall, removing an extra step involved to get people playing and spending in your ecosystem is an important thing. I would say that the announcement of the price hike with, of Games with Gold coupled very, very timely next to the Games with Gold offering. I said Games with Gold, Xbox Live Gold, whatever. Uh, Games with Gold was announced to have five games coming up in the next month. Moreover, the offerings in that seem to be far more uh, impressive in terms of slate than we've gotten in recent months because Xbox Live Gold and Xbox Games with Gold has certainly been in decline when it comes to the free offerings uh, for free games that its members get. This next coming month, you get the incredible Gears 5. You get the original Resident Evil remake. You get Dandara Trials of Fear Edition. The original Xbox game Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, which is highly regarded. And the really fun Capcom third-person shooter Lost Planet. Five good games in an offering uh, for the next month next to the announcement that Xbox Live Gold would be going up in price does not seem like an accident in any way, shape, or form. That said, regardless of the price hike and its reversal, I'm glad to see Games with Gold being taken a bit more seriously, at least for a month, because it has been uh, disappointing, I think, for a lot of people to see games that they were unfamiliar with or that did not rate well or things that didn't you know, buck onto too many radars. A word of note on that, though, I've played some incredible games that I never would have played 
thanks to Games with Gold. And when you see those offerings, try to take advantage of it. If you're a Games with Gold subscriber and not using Game Pass, uh, try to check out those free games out. It's well worth your time to expose yourself to new games and find out that you may, hey, you know, be interested in a game that you wouldn't otherwise have paid for and then played. Uh, all that is to say, whether or not I feel we should be worrying about games with gold or live gold going forward, my hope is that the with the paywalls down on free-to-play stuff, this is one less barrier for people to get into the ecosystem. And more importantly, uh, I appreciated that Microsoft heard the fan outcry, the customer outcry, and the cited examples. I noticed in my social media feeds it was devoid of death threats, it was devoid of hostility, it was simply pointing out all the... Uh, inaccuracies and the failings of live gold next to competitor offerings so cheers to the response of that by gamers and I think uh, while they certainly had the the terrible foresight to, to make a decision like this they did reverse on it well and it's appreciated that they were responsive in that I noted the Twitter offerings from you know where people like you know, Larry herb and Phil Spencer where they, they apologized they noted that customers would be heard those are good things to do in a, a space that is increasingly responsive and very, can be very hostile towards negative business practices. Famous Seamus did write in on this topic and he said, what lessons do you think Microsoft learned this week after the whole increase to the gold price situation? Famous Seamus, always a great question from you and I would hope that Microsoft learned they can't get away with insidious business practices. Uh, it felt very Don Matrick 2013 Xbox One debacle. It also seemed to serve as a quick lesson that people are still listening, people are still going to be critical of decisions that are not consumer friendly, particularly next to the messaging that they've been trying to push forward over the last few years, that they are the most consumer friendly first party offering on the market. And I would argue that they are. I think Nintendo is at the bottom of that category. Sony is comfortably in the middle doing a great job with its exclusive slate and having a, a decent uh, amount of services there. And Xbox, with its response to hardware and software subscription services, uh, are typically on top of that. A decision like the one that they made, uh, had they stuck with it, would have certainly damaged that reputation that they are still needing to work for. They still need to have a comfortable amount of hubris in making all of their decisions until they are either back on top or comfortably not uh, being laughed at in the exclusive category slate. So my hope is they, they, they learned that they are still not impervious to bad decisions. My hope is that they realize they shot themselves in the foot on a PR front and their PR has been fairly solid over the last year and a half, sans a few leaks here and there and some uh, poorly timed Greenberg comments. I think their PR has been pretty solid. So my hope is that they continue to reflect on this, see fan feedback, recognize they'll be called out, and continue being consumer-friendly while still existing as a comfortable business uh, to out there to make money. Also in the news this past week was the Resident Evil Showcase, hosted by What's Good Games' Brittany Brownbacher. We saw the Resident Evil Showcase where Resident Evil Village was showed off, really not for the first time, but it felt like the first time. We got, we got to see quite a bit of gameplay from Resident Evil 8, dubbed Village, and it continues that first-person story with Ethan Hunter, which I thought was wonderful in Resident Evil 7. I loved Resident Evil 7. I thought it was the scariest of all the Resident Evils. We were playing in a house back then. It looks like we'll be playing in a larger, 
mansion-like cabin in the woods style event uh, with Ethan in Resident Evil Village. Of course, you'll be in the village there as well. We saw new antagonists, the uh, amusingly attractive vampire ladies that are going to be, or that have been mean to death thus far at this point. They will exist seemingly as the primary antagonist for Ethan Hunter. They are disturbing in many ways. They are vampires, of course. This seems to be a departure from the typical zombies of Resident Evil in a franchise mode. My hope is that we also see werewolves involved. There are several hints to that um, throughout the, the the trailers that we saw. And I'm there for it. I am 100% there for Resident Evil Village. I'm excited for this game. Resident Evil 7 was such a scary undertaking. I had such a blast with it that I can see myself buying whatever gold edition with the exclusive expanded content that will likely be coming as it so often is in a Capcom offering here. I'm all in on this. I'm stoked for it. I thought Resident Evil was best played in first person, was best played in smaller scale stories. Resident Evil always fell apart for me, no matter the the format of first or third person, but it always falls apart with me when you start off in a really scary setting, and then you end up in some underground bunker and very advanced, you know, mechanics all around you, and you've got, you know, cybernetic things existing, and you've got these tentacle monsters going up in these sterile environments. No, I think Resident Evil is scariest when you're in decrepit buildings, when you're out there in, in forests that are foggy, when you're outside or or working with characters that are eclectic and haunting and unexplained. I'm stoked for the direction that Resident Evil Village is taking. I'm excited for the continued rumors of Resident Evil 4 as a remake. I hope that continues and goes well and it gets a little bit more love than Resident Evil 3 remake got because I was a little disappointed with that game uh, after the pretty impressive Resident Evil 2 remake. There was no update on Resident Evil 4 in this showcase. We did get an update on Reverse or Reverse where we see the characters of Resident Evil battling out against each other. I could not be more muted on my response for that. As high as I am on Resident Evil Village, Reverse doesn't interest me at all at this point. There are better offerings for that type of gameplay, in my mind, all over the gaming space, so I don't know that Resident Evil will draw me in there. But I do appreciate the double-down effect that Capcom seems to have with the Resident Evil franchise name. It was also announced that an animated show would be making its way to Netflix starting in 2021. Exciting to see that. Hopeful that that continues to be a good and worthwhile uh, event there. The video game offerings of shows on on Resident Evil on Netflix have been fairly good with Castlevania um, really standing out there. My hope is that it continues to treat the franchise with respect. There are some really great Resident Evil animated movies out there. The live action ones are rather disappointing and my understanding is there's also a live action show in the works at Netflix. So Netflix, like Game Pass, having to work very hard to fill out its slate, and that means we're getting a lot of subscription-based content there uh, with names that you might know. Here's hoping that it impresses and that Resident Evil Village is the start of a, uh, of a wonderful, not the start, I suppose, the continuation of a wonderful first-person offering from Resident Evil there. But I'm there for it. And... And kind of next to the Resident Evil offerings, we have the idea that the medium is coming out this week. We have the idea that Silent Hill is possibly returning. Of course, we've seen games like Ghostwire Tokyo. We've seen the de- the spiritual remake to Dead Space. We've also seen Back for Blood, the spiritual response to Left for Dead. There is a lot happening in the horror setting, and I'm really enjoying that kind of revival of the genre. 
it has been felt like, at least in my mind, it has been sustained by indie and double-A offerings and not a lot in the triple-A space for true horror games. The last true horror game that I played was Resident Evil 7, and before that, I can't remember a lot of AAA horror experiences. I'm digging that, th that it's coming back as a, as a AAA thing. I thought the indie games do a very good job, but they feel a lot more based in like jump scares, whereas the tension levels seem to rise when you get more thriller combinations with horror. I think about Alan Wake in this respect. I think about what the medium looks like it's going to be offering. And Bloober Team is so talented. I genuinely hope they make their way into an, a, an, an Xbox Game Studios umbrella because it would be wonderful to have sustained horror content in Game Pass as it comes out. That would be a, a wonderful thing to have for sure. But I like the idea that, that horror games are seemingly coming back in a bigger way, in a more f well-funded way. And uh, cheers to all the incredible indie and double-A horror games that I've played of yore. Thinking about Blair Witch, that game was incredible. I know we had on, about a year ago this time, uh, Clinton McCleary, the maker of Infliction Extended Cut, a very simple and small indie horror title, but that was a blast. Ben Rivers, a wonderful uh, indie developer, made Worse Than Death, and that's a really fun horror game that's not based on jump scares. And that's, it, it's a neat space to see being explored big and small, and so cheers to that. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show Hitman 3, and I know, I know, I know, I promised you guys in last week's episode that I would be holding off on Hitman 3, that I would rather just uh, enjoy other games that are in my backlog, that I would enjoy now waiting for a sale down the line. And then people like Dan Rodriguez and so many others were touting and saying how great Hitman 3 was. And then I ended up uh, sending in a code request. I did get a code for free from uh, IOI for Hitman 3 Standard Edition. So just the Hitman 3 levels. I started off playing Hitman 3. Loved it. Could not believe how good it was. Was having an absolute blast. Maybe it's that I slept on the Hitman franchise Maybe it's that Hitman 3 just looks that good on Xbox Series S. So then I started this journey of, all right, do I really want to play through Hitman 3 without having known the story and the offerings of the other games? I know that IOI has worked really hard to get the older content be available under the H3 umbrella. What do I own from Games with Gold offerings? Do I have a demo? Do I have access to older stuff in Hitman's 1 and 2? It was a mess trying to get the original content of Hitman's 1 and 2 into Hitman 3 without having owned them previously or having progressed, yada, yada, yada. Bottom line, I ended up buying Hitman 2, buying the access pass for Hitman 1. I now have all the Hitman games from IOI under the same umbrella for Hitman 3 so I can play it in that shiny new engine. I am loving, loving the original Hitman played in this new engine here. I'm loving the gameplay styles, the, the options, the, how much it makes me think. It is very much like playing a puzzle game. If you are new to Hitman, I can't say enough about the franchise. I am very sure that if you just have Hitman 1 and you've never played it, you don't need to buy Hitman 3 if you don't want to. But I will tell you, I wanted it all under the same umbrella. I wanted it to be uh, that, that Master Chief Collection vibe where you just boot it up and you have access to everything from one click. I'm loving my time as a hitman. There are alternative game modes, like the sniper assassin mode, which you know I dig. I love sniper games. Then I'm really getting into, for sure, the score challenges. 
the hundreds of ways to solve each of the puzzles for how to assassinate a certain character. I am partial at the moment to poisoning people and then going and drowning them in the toilet. Say what you will about me there, it just seems to be efficient, but I'm digging it. I'm really digging it so far. It is impressive what IOI has done. They could not be better stewards of the James Bond franchise going forward because I'm just having a blast with this game. I know I'll talk more about it, but it feels to me like this is a game that I will be playing for months, playing for months. I'll probably hit it hard for uh, a few weeks until we have the next big AAA game, maybe in Outriders, which of course was delayed. There's a demo, I'm sure, but uh, in February, but I'm, I'm just loving this game, and I'm curious if you guys are too. I will say it was Obtuse's mess trying to get the Hitman 1 content in there. I ended up just biting the bullet and... and Buying a buying a cheap on sale code uh, offline for that one, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm loving the Hitman franchise, so don't sleep on Hitman Three for sure. Uh, it just looks so good on Series S, Series X rather, I should say. Man, the the lighting is just wonderful, reflections incredible. The game's great. The game is great. Don't sleep on it. Hitman Three. Hello, this is Mike Biffle, uh, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. The other game that I have been playing, and the reason that this episode is releasing just a touch later than it might otherwise have been because of the embargo date, is Cyber Shadow. Now, Cyber Shadow is created by a one-man team, uh... His name is Mecha Skull, and it's being published by the incredible Yacht Club Games. Yacht Club, of course, known for their Immaculate Shovel Knight series and a lot of 16-bit retro goodness, and that makes them the perfect publisher to be working with Cyber Shadow because we have a brilliantly modern and yet wonderfully nostalgic game that's reminiscent of Ninja Gaiden meets Super Metroid. It is relentlessly challenging. Uh, I've been playing through Cyber Shadow and what looks like, I mean, like really and truly, it looks like you're playing a Ninja Gaiden game that's been modernized with a touch of Super Metroid elements to it. It also feels a bit more in the Sega Genesis category than Super Nintendo, particularly in the sound design, at least to my amateur ear. But it tasks the player with platforming and slashing their way through all types of robotic and near-cybernetic enemies in this mecha city. It is super dope. You play as a ninja-like warrior. I'm still not sure uh, if I'm fully a ninja or really uh, how that story is playing out. There is a pretty neat story for about your robotic ninja clan and how you're protecting the city against you know, corrupt robots that are out there. And then, of course, there are corrupt robots. It's, it's pretty cool. And you're trying to stop a robotic army of minions that have attacked your clan. You make your way through what I think are very difficult levels, playing in that Ninja Gaiden style that feels reminiscent of the first half of The Messenger, uh, with all the humor of that game. This one feels like uh, a very serious version of, of that. And you encounter enemies and an impressive array of bosses. The bosses are dope. There's a ton of little secret rooms and power-ups. And you gain abilities to augment your character, make your character more powerful. And you should expect to die a lot in this game. It is very difficult. However, it doesn't commit the cardinal sin of loading times. Respawns are near instant, at least in my experience, over on the Series X. And I, while I was frustrated with the amount of deaths that I had, I never once felt like I was being cheated or that I was unfair or that I had to wait to get back into the action. It was always my own inadequacies in combat that made me 
frustrated. It was never the game feeling unfair. The game is fair with its deaths, and there's a lot of trial and error that goes through it. You do hit save checkpoints fairly often. It's not one that I felt like I lost a lot of progress when I did die. There are, like I said, secret rooms, upgrades, and approaches do offer some replayability there. I'm loving this kind of hack-and-slash, run-and-gun gameplay in some parts, and then these far more tactical platforming in others. I'm digging the variety of gameplay styles and ways to to beat out enemies with different abilities there. They have a sling blade at attachment that you can purchase that is super cool. It, it whips all around you based on momentum. So if you run and stop, it, the sling blade will sling forward. If you jump up, it'll sling upwards and downwards, and it bounces all around you. Really cool weapons there. Uh, I'm having a blast. This is an exceptional title, and it's one that's hitting day and date into Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass, do not miss out on it. If you are on another platform and just enjoying XEP because uh, you're being supportive of, of me or because you enjoy the Xbox ecosystem on some level, don't sleep on it there either. I would gladly pay 20 bucks for this game. It is a wonderful homage to the classic games of yore while still doing a good job at being modern. Cyber Shadow, definitely don't miss this. I've had my eye on it for years. I am not at all disappointed thus far. Uh, and cheers to it. Yacht Club doing a great job publishing this one, and for it to be made by one guy, it's dope. Check it out. Let's move now into listener mail. I only snagged a few this week in favor of a shorter episode, guys. This first question comes from Mr. Todd Oxtra, and he says, Considering Xbox released a premium controller, do you think we'll see Xbox dabble in higher-end wireless headsets, especially since they use proprietary wireless connection? That is a great question, Todd. And of course, uh, that proprietary wireless connection that you uh, allude to, yes, there is proprietary technology in how Xbox uses their headsets different from PC and from PlayStation. And that has augmented how third parties have released headsets and sound offerings on their platform. That said, Todd, I do not expect that we'll see a premium level first party offering from Xbox. Of course, there's a lot of hardware constraints right now amid the pandemic. Both Xbox and PlayStation are struggling to get hardware out there at this point in time. And we've seen that uh, third party offerings like SteelSeries, like the Rigs, like A10s, those are uh, doing a very good job in the sound space and perhaps leaving it to them is a better move at this point in time. I, of course, myself use the Arctis 7Xs. I'm a big fan of the Arctis 7Xs from SteelSeries. Uh, far more than the Arctis 9s, for sure. I, I'm not a, As much as I love the Arctis 9s, and of course we're talking about like, you know, great and greater in these categories, the 7Xs feel like the way to go, and they've been very difficult to find for a lot of people of late. Um, I, I think that when it comes to premium headsets, the Elite controller is really good, and I love it on the Elite side of a controller space, but it also causes a lot of headaches for a lot of people. And I'm not sure Xbox, amid supply constraints, amid hardware issues uh, for trying to get units out there in the pandemic, would want to take on another uh, facet of that in premium headsets. I would say leave that to third-party offerings. Uh, I think third parties do it better in that particular respect, and you get a bit more versatility as far as the PC Xbox space uh, for a third-party offering there. And of course, I always say SteelSeries. That's where I tend to go. But good question, man. Good question. Our next question comes from Mr. Clint Coombs, and he says, After seeing Phil Spencer's, your Phil Spencer signed item, what is your favorite piece of game memorabilia? Clint is alluding to the 
skateboard deck from E3 2019, the ID at Xbox skateboard deck that Phil Spencer has signed for me. I got to meet Phil Spencer at E3 2019 when I was working with Sean Capri and the Xbox Drive. Uh, and uh, that probably is my favorite piece of sign or signed memorabilia or Xbox game memorabilia. But I also have a poster signed by the Sea of Thieves team that I'm a really big fan of. Uh, a gift from Ainsley Bowden from Season Gaming. I have the Sea of Thieves book signed by the team as well. Uh, I have a lot of pins from E3 2019 and the various booths that we went through. And for game memorabilia, you know, separate from that stuff, I'm a big fan of statues. I love the Halo statues, my God of War statue. Really love the Darksiders, uh, Darksiders 4. I, want, I wish, yeah, I really wish. Darksiders Genesis statue of Strife with the fourth horseman there. Uh, and the Arkham, Arkham Knight statue as well. I just, I love statues of games. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, so I would say that's probably my favorite set, or any of those could be my favorite on any given day. Just being a diehard Halo fan, having the Halo Reach statue, the Halo 5 stuff, the Halo Infinite statue, I just, I, I really dig statues. So I suppose, Clint, I, that's a, a lot of answers to your question. Favorites are always weird for me, man, because on any given day it could be different. Um, I also recently got a really cool uh, wood-burned coaster from my friend Charles that has the Arkham Knight symbol. On there with my gamer tag, it's a, a piece of wood, but it's been uh, burned in uh, with, with the images there. It looks really, really neat. Cool little bit of unique memorabilia there as well. But yeah, Clinton, great question. Oh, gosh, hard to choose, man. Good one. I like it. The last question here comes from Mr. Rick, the Spartan edition over on Twitter. And he says, what's up, Luke? With the free-to-pay wall coming down, I think the only way for Halo Infinite's multiplayer not to succeed is if 343 screws up again. I want to know your thoughts on this topic. Ooh, Rick. Okay, so it's a big it's a big statement to say that 343 has screwed up because I would disagree with you there. I thought they nailed Halo 4's single-player offering. I thought they uh, missed the mark on the Spartan Ops and the multiplayer offering of Halo 4. I thought they missed the mark on the campaign part of Halo 5, but they nailed multiplayer on Halo 5 as well. And uh, with, yeah, you're, you are correct. With the free-to-pay wall coming down, Halo Infinite is poised to be a huge success or a huge disappointment. If the game is great, there's no free-to-pay free wall for Xbox Live Gold. And, of course, the, the multiplayer suite is free for anybody to play on xCloud, on PC, on console. Uh, when I say console, that includes Xbox One all the way through to the Xbox Series set of devices. Halo Infinite multiplayer is poised to be a huge hit because it's accessible by so many people. As long as the game is fun and people are uh, able to enjoy it and it feels a bit modern while at the same time honoring Halo of old, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be huge. And I think that uh, 343 is set to have a massive hit on their hands if they nail it. The expectations for Halo Infinite are off the charts, uh, probably in the unfair category, but really what they need is a stable multiplayer suite that rolls out, is accessible, playable by everybody, does something special and different from Call of Duty, honors those old Halo fans like myself and the multiplayer side, and really and truly does something that is, it is really, man, when you balance, when you have to balance old expectations and new players, uh, that's a tall task. 343 seemingly is up to it. I love the delay. I like the people they've got in charge right now. They missed the mark on the demo, but I think there's a lot of good stuff that we saw in that. Uh, and I think the 
The big thing is when it comes down to removing those barriers, removing those gates to entry, they could potentially have a huge, huge uh, offering that is exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem, and that might bring Halo back to relevance. We'll see. I'm, I'm doubtful for it simply because of the expectations, but I know as a diehard Halo fan myself, I'll be there day one. I'm hoping to play with as many people as possible, and I hope that the removal of those walls brings a lot of people into that Halo universe, uh, and they realize what an incredible world that is. And Master Chief Collection does a good job of that as well. But, uh, man, there's a lot of question marks around Halo Infinite. But I don't think that 343 screwed up Halo multiplayer in Halo 5. Uh, and I don't think they screwed up single player in Halo 4. They just got to get them both right now in this new offering. Great question. Alrighty, guys, that concludes it for this episode of XCP. Thank you guys for checking it out on all podcast services. Of course, it's also available over on YouTube. And if you're willing, throw a subscribe, throw a like, or all that jazz on that platform, and throw an iTunes review down. Let somebody know if they would enjoy XCP. Thank you guys for listening. I enjoy the journey with you each week. We've got some good interviews coming up. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.